So now we will be uh, we will be dealing with a few of your questions. Oh, if uh, the questions are interesting to you, you listen to them and you see if it makes sense, the answers or uh, the reply. And uh, if they are not interesting for you, you just continue your meditation because we have a lot of questions. So. First of all, uh, some people, they, they, they wonder how they should call me. So they write notes and they say Sayadaw X and, and, and uh, Bante and things like this. So uh, the point is that uh, uh, the meaning of the word Sayadaw is in Burmese oh, and it means teacher. So uh, when someone becomes a teacher, then he is called a Sayadaw. Or if someone is really advanced in the in the tradition, then he is also called Sado. So for myself, since they, since uh, uh, I have a mic, huh, then they started to call me Sado. <laughs> <laughs> so any, if you are not sure, any monk, you can, you, if you call him Bante, then this will be enough. Huh? So you are sure in any tradition, like in the in the in the in the Thai tradition, if you call them sad, oh, it's not a it's not really their uh, word because because the teacher in the Pali language is is acharya. Huh? So uh, when you we, when we use it in the Thai language, it makes achan. So all the achans they are uh, they are teachers in general, or at least they are monks who have a certain uh, amount of seniority. So now the first question is, is in regard to the practice of body sweeping or body scan. Is the body sweeping a practice of mindfulness of the body instead of mindfulness of breath? Is the body sweep an alternative practice to attain one-pointedness that can lead to jhana? So. The first question is that, uh, will it be possible to say that uh, sweeping in the body will not be mindfulness of the body? This is very difficult to say. I mean, we are sweeping, we are scanning the body. So, I mean, logically, it's mindfulness of the body. <coughs> uh, but uh, technically, how it is classified, then uh, it may not be, we, we need, if we want to put it in the traditional uh, classification, we need to associate the, 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 the sweeping of the body in regard to one of these four, uh, to one of these aspects that are uh, qualified, that are uh, expressed in the tradition. Also, sweeping of the body, if we sweep and we see the anatomical parts, then it's part of the body meditation, I mean, the, 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 the official things. If we are sweeping, and uh, 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 like this morning, I associated the experience we have the sweeping with the sensations, and these sensations are related to the elements of the body. So if we are sweeping and together with the sensations that we are experiencing, we see just the elements then this is the four element meditation that we find in the official uh, body meditation, like in the Satipatthana. And uh, if uh, sweeping also refers to the whole posture, 
Well, then this is also part of the Satipatthana. That means from the sweeping, we get the whole perspective, we, we get the whole uh, knowledge of the body as a whole. And um, then also, if we are sweeping the body, but actually what, predomin- what predominates is the sensations that we are experiencing on the body, then we could say that we are sweeping the body no? So this is in regard to the body and location, like the knees and then whatever uh, terms we are using for our reference, this is, uh, they, they could be relating to the area, huh? the knees, the, the heels, and as such they are not part of the 32 parts of the body, but they are ways to locate ourselves inside this physical experience. So we have the body defined by a way of uh, locals of, uh, of uh, parts, huh? but there we are experiencing sensation, feeling. Huh? So in that case, it's, uh, it's a mixture of mindfulness of the body together with the Vedana Nupassana. Huh? So it's part of the body, but emphasis, emphasis is given on the aspect of uh, feelings. So also, like the question is here is in relation to mind, mindfulness of the body versus mindfulness of the breath. So what is the breath? The breath cannot exist without the body. So we have a breathing process that incorporates the air that is getting in and also the physical process of it. So these two things comes to be experienced as elements. So the breath in that case which is the experience of breathing, refers just to the physical, the physicality of it. That means we are breathing in the wind. Huh? So this is just the air. It is just the air element that is everywhere in the body. So we don't breathe in the breath. We are just breathing an element, a physical element of air. So the physical element of air is also all, all in, in our whole body. So in the case that we don't emphasize, emphasize uh, the, the breath as such, like in breath or out breath or short breath or long breath, then the air element itself will be perceived, which is also throughout the body. Like when we breathe, then we feel that, that, that kind of... Uh, of uh, you know energy throughout the body so then this is in that case mindfulness of the body if it is used in regard uh, mindfulness of the breath if it is used in regard to the whole body will be geared more uh, to help us understanding uh, the physical elements hmm? starting with the air and then the same thing if we focus just on the breath to develop concentration, then this is slightly different. Uh, we are using the breath, in breath, out breath, and a short breath, uh, or long breath, to develop the concentration. Then this is still another area of uh, mindfulness of the body. So is the body sweep an alternative practice to attain one-pointedness that can lead to jhana? So if we are using the body sweeping just 
to direct our attention. So we are very attentive, we are not distracted, we are just sweeping, we just relax, huh? and then we are just aware of the body, just aware of the body. And then we do that again and again. If the mind is distracted, then again we are just coming back to that basic awareness of the body, but also moving from part to part. So what is happening when we purposely move our attention from one part to the other part? The mind gets concentrated. We occupy the mind with the moving activity which keeps it concentrated. So we are forced a little bit, just instead of thinking about something else, we are thinking about the shoulders, and then the chest, and then the back, and then like that. So by itself, huh, just scanning the body with the mind helps us to be attentive, helps us also to get the mind concentrated. And to some extent, if it is done on a great, uh, with great uh, interest and intensity, then it can lead not to full absorption, but to a very high degree of concentration. And this is called what the, shall I explain about the momentary concentration. So then you are just so much aware of the body that the mind gets concentrated, but it does not get into full absorption because what you are observing is just a changing phenomenon. It is just a process. And also, what we are observing is dependent on the senses. That means, you know, you, you, you depend on the sense doors. Huh? So these aspects of knowledge, which is, which is related to the sensitive uh, sphere, the, the, the sense sphere, cannot lead to jhana, because the jhana, the full jhana, is uh, in another sphere, like the fine material uh, sphere. Huh? So that's why the, the mindfulness of the body, just as the elements, leads you, can lead you to kanika samadhi. And then it's not neighborhood concentration because it doesn't have the possibility to lead you to full absorption since it is connected with the five physical senses. But definitely, if we are doing that very carefully, the concentration can build up to an extent enough for us to be clear huh? and, and for us to understand eventually the physicality, to understand finally or, or, or eventually the, what, what is that body huh? and also together with the mind. So uh, it is enough for us to develop enough of uh, concentration to practice inside meditation. And then also from the body, if we start like that, gradually, then at some point we can have the choice to maybe to change uh, the, the way we are looking at body, huh? or to change also, yes, the way we are looking at the body. So we can, what, what we start to experience in the body, then it can turn also into a meditation subject that, that can lead to the jhana, if you, if you, if, uh, well, if you look at it in another way, like you can see some colors or you can see just anatomical parts or uh, you can see light or, or things like this and then concentrating on that, then you just go for the jhana. But if you want to practice the vipassana, 
this, is, uh, th this has the possibility to build up inner samadhi. And actually, traditionally, those who want to develop the vipassana uh, without the jhana, huh, what is called the vipassana uh, suddhayanika, those the, in the dry insight practitioners, traditionally they say that although they are not practicing samatha as such, what they need as a basis is the four element meditation. So theoretically, if you want to practice insight meditation, you have to uh, you have to build the, 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 the concentration, or not a concentration, but you have to build uh, uh, the, 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 the kind of uh, insight based on the body itself, huh? up to the up to a certain degree. So uh, so they say that. Uh, the, the dry insight meditators, they do the four-element meditation, huh? and then together with that, then they, they, they combine other aspects of the, of the satipatthana, other aspects of the, of the vipassana. Just for an example, like uh, the masses, uh, those method, then it is a dry insight meditation. So they start with, you observe the rising and falling of the abdomen. Huh? This is one of the one of the things that uh, is part of their method. Huh? So the rising and falling of the abdomen, if you keep on just watching that very carefully, what are you watching? You are watching the, the air element, which is pushing and then which is creating movement, all the pressure, and then uh, all the characteristics of the air element is uh, perceived from there, and then it has the it has the potential to create a momentum where the mind will be uh, not distracted, where the mind will be concentrated concentrated enough to eventually be able to see you know reality on a different level. So you start with the rising and falling. This is I mean technically this is how the the the, the, the teachers of that tradition explain it with the books. Technically this is the air element. So when the air element is very clear with the rising and falling of the abdomen, then also the whole body becomes to be seen as the air element. And then when one element, one physical element is clear then the other three elements also will be very clear. Also, if you are watching the air you know, rising and falling, and then you see the wind element everywhere in your body, but it cannot be known if it's not happening in relation to other elements. That means you, 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 breathe, in, you breathe out, so the, re the resistance that the air is having in regard to other things are actually the resistance that is happening with the earth element mostly, like the heaviness, huh? you breathe and then it's very heavy in the shoulder, so this is the heaviness, and also you breathe and then it's very hard, the, 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 I mean, you, you, you experience uh, some resistance by way of weight or by way of uh, texture, huh? so that opposition to the, to the movement, whatever movement is operating, that opposition is actually the earth element. And then also, together with the earth element, there will be some temperature. Also, you are breathing in and then you are feeling the body and then the temperature of hot or cold will also be there. And then also the aspect of the, of the, of the temperature, the, of, the, of the water element. So when one element is clear, the other three elements comes to be clear. 
So from the wind element, you come to perceive the, the earth element, the fire element, and then the water element. And then this is what is called the four element meditation based on the body. So it is from the experience, from intensifying the observation of the, experience, the physical experience that we, we are building up a concentration uh, sufficient enough to, uh, to, to, to lead to insight meditation. So another question is, when I send metta to a being while I am in jhana, can that being feel uh, the metta when he or she is not in jhana and how? So when we are sending metta, is another person able to feel it? So here is, it is in relation to jhana. So if uh, according to our definition of jhana, uh, only the mind is working, Oh, and then the mind is really absorbed in something, then uh, it, might, uh, it might not be sensitive to other things. But if we define jhana just as a good quality of meditation, then that means also that the jhana, someone who is practicing meditation, actually will be more sensitive. So if you send metta to such a person, if the person is in meditation, then the person may feel a bit uh, what is happening. Oh, this is, uh, that's possible that the person will feel it. And uh, the second question is, mm, how, how is that happening? So uh, it is just like if someone is meditating, although the person may be absorbed, huh? it's just like if you are meditating and someone is tapping you on the shoulder, then you will wake up or you will, you will notice. So if the person is in jhana, then uh, he might, he might, the person might have a signal that oh no, something, something special is happening. Like you get a phone call or something. Huh? So uh, you can, you can, you can phone people with your meta. <laughs> <laughs> so, well, will he or she knows that the meta is from me? Well, then you have to. That's very important. So, if you are not sure, then you can leave your address <laughs> or your phone number. <laughs> you, you want to be sure that the communication is okay, you know. <laughs> but the thing also, like if you are meditating, then sometimes, you know, some people are more visual and some people are more sensitive than other people. So sometimes you are like in these conditions, we become very sensitive. So you may have pictures or you may have images from time to time and then you, you feel good or oh, you think, oh, that, that person is thinking about me. It's just about, it's the same thing as the, the principle of telepathy. Hmm? So metta is, a, is, a, is a something that is, it's a high quality state of mind based on, you know, concentration. And then the mind is so powerful that it can affect uh, other beings. Like, I mean, it's just the same thing, like uh, the, the healers. Huh? So you have some healers and they are able to heal diseases or they are able to heal people at a distance. So they will just go in their meditation and then they concentrate on the person and they influence the person. 
It's the same principle. So if you have a good meditation, depending on your concentration, then you are also able to, to get in the dream of some people. So uh, if another person is sleeping, then you concentrate and then you, you can have uh, the person having the dream about you. <laughs> so it can, it can turn to be very romantic if you like to go in that direction. Can the momentary concentration, which occurs in mindfulness, vipassana, process related meditation, lead to access or absorption concentration, which usually occurs in samatha content re related meditation? So I think I just uh, dealt with that uh, question when I was dealing with uh, the body meditation. Also, if you see the body as just as a process, just as the fundaments, it's not strong enough to go for the jhana, you mean the apana, the full absorption, but if you are to change the way you are looking at the object, then, then you will be able to develop a little bit more of concentration. So on the same page, Another question is, what's the relationship between mindfulness, sati, and concentration, samadhi? As one increases or decreases, so does the other. This is true that mindfulness and concentration are related, and then also they cannot happen without each other. So if you are very mindful, or if we are very mindful, then the one-pointedness of mind will also be uh, uh, very strong. Uh, so the one-pointedness of mind that we find in any moment of uh, mindfulness is a type of concentration. So the more mindful we are, the more concentrated the mind is. And also, uh, to develop a specific meditation on concentration, samadhi, then we need to be very mindful also of what we apply the mind to. And uh, if mindfulness fails when we are practicing samadhi meditation, no? That means if we are forgetting the object on which we practice, or if we are neglectful about uh, our subject of meditation, if the mind is getting distracted, this is a lack of mindfulness. So even in samadhi, even when we are developing samadhi, a lot of mindfulness is needed. So if, if mindfulness drops when we are practicing uh, specific samatha exercises, then also the samadhi is going to drop. So they are actually uh, quite closely related. So apparently uh, I have spoken at length about the first two aspects of clear comprehension, purpose and suitability. No? This is the Sati Sampajanya, no? so I think you may remember that. Uh, 
If you please, could you now address the third and the fourth aspect, domain and reality? So the fourth, the third and the fourth and the fourth aspects are uh, what is called in the Sati Sampadhyaya. It's called Gochara and Asamoa. So Gochara is the domain or the field. Uh, the, the sphere, something like this, and then the other one is a non-delusion. So, about the domain, huh? Gochara. Like we have seen, the first uh, two aspects of mindful of uh, clear comprehension relate to purpose and suitability. And then, when we come to the third one, the domain, Although the domain, gochara, can also be applied to physicality, that means when we are doing things, we have to know our domain. Uh, we go in and go in suitable places, and then we see that our physical actions, also our physical uh, activities and uh, uh, where we are going, is appropriate to our practice. Uh, so this is the domain where our body will be involved, where we will be involved physically. But here, the domain spoken about in relation to the Gochara Sati, uh, uh, Sampajanya relates to the domain of the mind. So where is the mind going? With what are we occupying our mind? And then, where do we say that this is the domain and it's not the domain of the mind? So they say, I mean, we, we can give a few definitions here, and I will be simple, is that uh, sometimes the domain, Gochara Sampajanya, is referring to the four Satipatthana. That means if you are mindful, having these foundations as your basis, with the correct understanding, then this is the correct uh, domain for you. So all the time, if you are established in the four foundations of mindfulness, then this is the proper domain. Also, when you are practicing samatha meditation, then the domain also is very specific. That, that, that means uh, in order to, in order, that the mind doesn't slip away into things that are unprofitable or just distraction or just type of fantasies, you give some kind of exercises and also it's like uh, like the domain, the gochara speaks, the, the definition of it in Pali is go, is a cow, and chara from charity. That means where the cow is going, it's, a, it's a feeding, it's the pasture. So this is the domain of the cow, where the, the cow is, is going to be nourished. So you have to keep, uh, at, at some times, you have to keep a fence around a certain area so that the, 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 the cow feeds out of what is suitable for, 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 for her. So this is the domain of the cow, where the cow is going to be limited with a fence. So in the same thing, with... Uh, uh, the practice, some pra I mean, with the practice of samatha meditation, then it's like putting a fence around our mind and to say, okay, now your domain is your meditation subject. 
So we have seen that the meditation subject by which the mind can feed itself is the fourth satipatthana, but also the domain by which the mind can feed itself is the object of our meditation. So any subject of meditation will be the domain. Huh? Because we feed ourselves with what we are thinking, we feed ourselves also with these meditation subjects that are selected according to what we need. So also, if we see that the meditation subjects have to be adjusted according to what we need, that means that the, our domain is not limited. Sometimes we will benefit by practicing metta. Sometimes we will benefit by practicing anapanasati. Sometimes we will benefit by just uh, observing the physical posture and then by controlling the senses and just being aware of what we are doing. Sometimes also we will need to to be involved in our work and also in a relationship with people. And then what we say will be very important. Hmm? That means we will need to think and also to discriminate what will have to come out from our physical and verbal actions. So the domain here will be to see what is suitable and, not, not, uh, and what is not suitable. So as long as the mind is able to remain in the field of the Dhamma, then the adaptability will be done in relation to the situation in which we are. So, for example, if we think that gochara is just to keep our meditation subject all the time, huh, and then we take, no, I, breath, I watch the breath all the time, and then you don't care about anything, you are going, you know, drive your car, or you go in the kitchen and things, and then you are just so concentrated on your domain, that means your, the domain that you think is only your meditation subject, then it may not be enough because the situation is changing. So there is the possibility also to adapt uh, the domain, that means what is going in the mind, to the situation. That means also you are going to uh, able to be able to adapt uh, uh, this, the yourself in response to the situation, but adapt it as long as it keeps in the Dhamma. So this will be the domain. So once this is settled, then the mind also has the possibility to go back to a meditation uh, subject or to, yes, to a meditation subject, either Vipassana or Samatha. But it will, it will, it will always be kept inside the fence. But at some point, there won't be the need of, of having a sense, a fence, because because you know what is will you you will know naturally what is beneficial, what is not beneficial, and also you will know also naturally what is the dhamma, what has to be done in specific situations. So that's why flexibility is uh, is always necessary, but also in regard to what we are feeding the mind, and also to what will be the outcome of what we have fed the mind with. So if you feed the mind with uh, proper thinking and then also proper qualities, then whatever you are doing will be also okay. It will not be, uh, be generated by a mind tainted with uh, anger or tainted with greed or tainted with all kinds of, def the, of the defilements because the mind is the source of the actions.
So this is for the third aspect of the Sati Sampajanya as the Gochara uh, Sampajanya. So the fourth one, which is uh, non-delusion, refers to understanding phenomena by way of causality a little bit. Huh? So, uh, so the non-confusion here can deal with all the, these aspects of causality. Huh? And then we see, for example, like in the Satipatthana, uh, the first... Uh, the first phenomena that are that are analyzed in the Dhammanupasana are the five entrances. So that means we have to understand the causes and condition of of all the phenomena. And then we have to see about we have to see that in re, in relation to what is happening in our mind, even when it is uh, I mean uh, not so. Uh, positive, like the negativity, the, the hindrances uh, are something that is very disturbing. So we have to understand them, how they arise, what are their conditions, how they, how they, how they disappear, and also how can I, as much as possible, be outside of these uh, big currents. So this is one aspect of non-confusion. Mm? So also in regard to what we need to do, uh, if, we, if we are confused, then even basic basic actions in our life will not be appropriate uh, because we don't understand the context, we don't understand uh, the, 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 the right uh, attitude, the right way to deal with the things. Mm? But uh, the non-delusion also will apply in a deeper sense where uh, deeper aspects of reality will be seen. That means we don't see the things uh, just superficially uh, but also deep, deeper, deeper beyond the, the usual way of perceiving things, like not only in conventional uh, reality, uh, but also in a deeper aspect where we just see uh, phenomena as processes. Uh, it is just energies, and then also we see that the, 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 you know we see. The, these aspects as a changing phenomena and uh, also all the, 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 the three characteristics are seen. So the, non, the aspect of non-delusion in the, in the uh, Sati Sampadhyanya, the last one, refers to uh, a lot of grades of Panya. So the more, so the Panya, oh, the, the levels of understanding can be adjusted also to what you need to understand, and then you have to. We have to. We have to see uh, that there are many levels of understanding, uh, and also there are many levels of reality. So they all need to be uh, understood properly, from the from the superficial to the depth of it. If we are just always in the depth, you know, and then we just see everything as bubbles, and then everything is just passing away, just a flux, then the non-delusion may not be enough because we have neglected very important aspect of taking care of ourselves in relation to the world in which we are living. So. So I think uh, I think that will cover the the topic. I think.
recognizing that that craving has its root in ignorance. Please explain how it may suddenly arise and take over the mind. Beyond mindfulness, how can the cycle of craving and becoming existence be halted or reduced? So recognizing that craving has its roots in ignorance. Explain how it may suddenly arise and take over the mind. So does it arise uh, suddenly? Is craving arising suddenly? Craving is arising suddenly, but it's, condi it's conditioning by ignorance. So that means ignorance is tainted our perception, is tainting our perception, is tainting our uh, view, is, is tainting the mind in a way that we are going to be overpowered by craving. So somehow, ignorance is coming before the craving. Because we are deluded, then we are, we, we are craving for things, right? But also, ignorance is also conditioned by craving. So it's a cycle. Because we are craving, then also ignorance is uh, entering into play. And also, the, some texts, they say that uh, what are the causes of ignorance? Huh? What are the causes for ignorance? And they say that the causes for ignorance is the five hindrances. So why is the mind deluded? Because there are hindrances in the mind. I mean, is it complicated? And then why is there hindrances in the mind? because we are doing things that are a source of creating delusion and hindrances. So it's just a cycle that, of, of which it's very difficult to see where it is starting. Ignorance and craving, it's all it's coming together. Because, because of there is ignorance, then there are all kinds of uh, unskillful actions and craving. And then because we have also uh, unskillful actions and craving, then ignorance also is fed with that type of, uh, of behavior, that type of thinking. So another part of the question is, beyond mindfulness, how can the cycle of craving and becoming existence be halted or reduced? So is it beyond mindfulness that the cycle can be understood and reduced and halted. It's not beyond mindfulness. It is with mindfulness, but with clear comprehension. The clear comprehension number four, non-delusion. So you are mindful, but also you are not deluded. Huh? So when we are not deluded, then that means ignorance is not there anymore, or it has been reduced to a great extent. So the more mindful we are together with understanding of what we are mindful of, hmm, the sati and the sampajanya, then the more clear we become aware of the dynamics 
of the process, the dynamics of our life. So this is putting away ignorance by looking at it, how it is manifesting itself. If the hindrances are the source of ignorance, that means to understand ignorance, we have to understand the hindrances. So that means mindfulness of all mental states have to be used to understand any process that relates to the mind. Ignorance relates to the mind. So we have to understand the mind in all its aspects. So the mind has to be clear to some extent. So mindfulness is helping the mind to be clear. And then that clarity will be what will give rise to understanding. So the more we understand, then the more we are able to to do something about something. I don't know. Like uh, also, I mean, I'm just extending on questions, you know, so I'm just at the question number four and then I have a lot. You know? So to give a, maybe to give a simile, we speak about halting and reducing, becoming an existence. That means just, just being here and then being there and then doing this and doing that with ignorance. So this is kind of momentum that, that, that has not been so much understood. And then we just go blind into something that is so conditioned and that we, we have never uh, uh, questioned really. So mindfulness helps us to stop the thing is just like if we are going uh, uh, in a car without brakes uh, and then we are in a slope uh, and then we are just going there and then just going all the time down there. So how to stop that is very difficult. But uh, there may be a way by going a bit aside uh, from the road and then just maybe if we have the brakes also or if we are wise enough to, to use it, <laughs> I hope you will. Uh, then, then the stop the, the, the car reduce a little bit, huh? and then you can see where you are going, and also you can see uh, what is happening in that uh, going down the slopes. Huh? So the brake huh? that is related to uh, s- uh, lo- lowering the speed of the, the the car going down is mindfulness. So when you are mindful, then you are more conscious about you are more conscious about what is happening and then you are able to 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 shift you know gears or you are able to shift the speed at which you are going also and also sometimes you are able to stop a little bit more and then by stopping then you can understand ah yes i have a problem with my you know with with uh, uh, area of mechanic that is uh, that is uh, making your car not working so nicely or uh, that is making your car going in the wrong direction. So it doesn't mean that we stop living and that we stop going and that we stop doing things, but it means that we start to understand a little bit more where we are going and then also the motivation that we have in the process of life, in that process of, uh, of, of action, in that process of uh, constant becoming. And then this is helping us to uh, well, to be a little bit wiser.
So here a technical question about Upeka. In which way does or not the quality and experience of equanimity in the Fordana differ from when practiced as an ordinary Brahma Vihara? So what you mean, if you mean by practicing a normal Brahma Vihara is just having a general sense of metta. So uh, now you are just in, now you may not be in jhana, but you are just practicing metta in general, or me me may you be aware and then you know may I be aware and things like this. You are not so much in the in deep samadhi. So depending on the con- the quality of your concentration, then also the equanimity will will take off. Uh, it will be also influenced. So there is a difference of intensity, let's say. So this is how it can be related. And also, like, if we, if we take it for granted that uh, the normal uh, activity that we are involved dealing with the senses, uh, when we are dealing with the five senses, uh, then uh, on that sphere of being, Vitaka and Vichara always need to be there. There is always a sustained and applied uh, 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 Vitaka and Vichara uh, sustain, sustaining and applying. Huh? So initial application, huh? application of the mind, and also sustain, sustained application of the mind. Yeah, sustaining and applying. Mm-hmm. So, so uh, whenever we are in the sense field, huh, uh, applying and sustaining is always there. So, because applying and sustaining is always there, then the equanimity will not be uh, as strong as, as if it's not there. So, for example, huh, for example, if you st- if you practice, you know, the Brahmahuyara to the extent that you get very happy, and then the the meditation gets its own momentum, and then, and then you reach the first jhana. Right? So in the first jhana, then the mind is really with that, huh? and then, but still the vitaka and vichara is there. But you have reached a level of jhana, a level of, of absorption. So in that level of absorption, there is equanimity also. The factor of equanimity is there, and the name is Tatra Majatata. That means uh, equal, middle type of very balanced uh, quality of the mind. I forgot how they translated in in in, in English. Uh, now I'm just careless. Pardon me. Yes, even-mindedness is it? Yeah, even-mindedness. Then, uh, so the even-mindedness. That means the mind is not flickering on one side or the other side. So, tatramajatata means that the mind is really balanced. And then that quality of the mind is there in all the skillful mental uh, states. Then also including in all the jhanas, you have equanimity is there. So the equanimity that we find in the first jhana will be different than the equanimity that we find in the third jhana. So if you if you look at the the text, you know you see that uh, in the third jhana someone is mindful and equanimous, right? So equanimity is there, uh, but they start to mention about equanimity in the third jhana because in the third jhana you don't have vitaka and vichara. 
And also you don't have the, 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 the factor of pity, which you find in the second jhana. So because the mind is so uh, uh, well concentrated, so balanced, then at that time you are really balanced because you don't, the, the mind doesn't depend on these two uh, previous uh, characteristics that you find in the, in the, in the previous jhana. But it's still not yet the, the fourth jhana where upekka is really there. Where, so there is a difference, there will be a difference with the, with the fourth jhana and the third jhana. So although you will have upekka, equanimity in the third jhana, then uh, the equanimity that you will find in the fourth jhana will be different than that. Because in the fourth jhana, then the equanimity is not associated with happiness. Uh, so since it is not associated with the uh, sukha, happiness, uh, then it's still more powerful. This is just technical details. And uh, you know the, the, the reference that if you really want to go technical, I said, but here I have the page number, you can find in the Path of Purification, uh, the Visuddhimagga, at the chapter 4, and then the paragraph 156, the definition of upekka, equanimity, classified in 10 types of equanimity. So here, they explain equanimity in four different, uh, four different contexts, but also with four, uh, ten, 10 different contexts and also 10 different uh, terminology. So, uh, different types of equanimity, like uh, the upeka of the of bo the bojanga, then the upeka of inside, then the upeka of the of the senses, and then the upeka of the jhana, the upeka of the brahmavihara, and so you have type ten types of uh, upeka that are defined according to that. And then they say that uh, it refers to the same thing, but having a different function. And the, the simile that is given is that uh, if you have a young boy or a young child, a young girl, and then the boy is young, and then when he, he grows a little bit and then becomes an adult, then it's not the same. Hmm? But it's the same, but it's not the same. And then when the adult gets a job and uh, he becomes a general, this is what they say here, <laughs> like in the army. <laughs> then then uh, the general is not the same, a little bit different than the adult or the child. And then if he becomes a king, then the king also is different than the general. So we see actually that the simony refer to uh, quality of uh, power, like you get more strength, huh? like the boy is, is different than the king. So why they choose that simony? Uh, exactly for that reason, that means the equanimity can gain in strength according to the position that, is, that it is holding in the uh, specific context. So when the mind is very concentrated in jhana, and then with the fourth uh, jhana, for example, then the equanimity is so strong that it will be very powerful. Huh? But it will be the same equanimity that you may have when you are just with the senses. Huh? You are just with the senses, but the equanimity will be there. So it's a question, actually, of position. A question of, uh, yeah, the, 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 the position that is given, that, 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 that you find. That you find it in.
Any suggestions about how to investigate sensing volition before an action? Also the same, uh, the same question, but uh, repeated in other words. When volition is known, felt in the body, and the intention to act is, is restrained, is restrained, uh, and the intention to act is restraint, let's say it's, re it's written uh, restraint. What is happening? How is the intention to act held back? So you know the, as you probably know, if you have read about uh, you know scientific research, scientist research, and then they say that uh, actually we are aware of the volition, or we are aware of an action before it has been committed. That means we are acting most of the time out of habit, or it's automatic. So you just you just itching, and then you, you realize oh I have I have gone itching, or you just uh, uh, do something, and then you realize oh actually I just picked up my uh, my piece of paper. Huh? So uh, they say that uh, the awareness or the mindfulness of the intention for acting is known after prior uh, it is known after the action has been performed. Hmm? This is. This is what some scientists, uh, scientific uh, research have proved. But the thing is that uh, we are definitely working with habits. Huh? So we, we develop habits all the time. And then it becomes a reflex. So when we are acting out of reflexes, and just by, just, it's not unconscious, but it's just habitual, then the intention cannot be perceived, definitely. But if we look at our volition, the initial volition has been conditioned to be uh, put into a pattern of habits or into a patterns of automatic behavior, then we can reposition or we can uh, recondition our volition in ways that will be more skillful. So we function automatically in our life and then also we function with habits, right? But these habits have been conditioned. So if we are able to recondition by understanding how these habits have been conditioned, then volition can be uh, understood a little bit more. For that purpose, we need to stop. For that purpose, we need to have a kind of break, a kind of pause. So instead of reacting from time to time, we can just be very much mindful of what we are doing, right? And then we stop, we are just, we are just there. And then we see the, the pushes that we are having to, to do something, but we stop, we, we just kind of relax and then just be aware of these uh, uh, impulses that we are prompted to do, to go here or to go there, or to do this or to do that. Then when the movement, when the position is very well known, 
then the mind becomes much more clear because we are able to calm down the mind with the body. So we are observing the, the, the physical, we are observing the, the, the posture, for example, oh, and then we just don't do anything. Although we want, to, we want to, to do something, we are just sitting and then we are quiet. So we see the mind calming down to some extent. Sometimes we can get more agitated because of that. No? But to some extent, if we observe properly, we see that the mind is calming down to the body, right? I mean, uh, knowing the body. So, so there is a kind of space. Huh? So we, 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 we come to be able to observe any actions before the volition has been agreed on or before we gave the approval to do the things. So this is the way that uh, sensing evolution before an action can be done. Yes. And who is making <laughs> that decision to not act? Like the awareness can be there momentarily of the, the sensing of op opening your eyes when you're sitting. You have that awareness of the volition. It's like a sensing of it. Yeah. And then one something says, "Don't open." Don't. It goes against that volition. Makes the restraint. Who? What is? Who? <laughs> my because of the becomingness in that I identify with. I want to say it's me. <laughs> who decides not to open my eyes, but I know that's not so. so you you can, like the question is about who is deciding, who is, is yeah. you know, yeah, so why trying to find a who in the picture, uh, and also why to, uh, like we can use, we can say this is you, I can say I, I want to, to stop and then and then uh, it's me, right? I don't want to move, and then I just want to... Uh, so, so we can say like that, that's fine. But actually the thing is that uh, we have to deconstruct the experience where we can understand what is that. We have to understand the whole spectrum of consciousness, the, the whole package. Uh, so we have volition, but volition is also associated with other factors. So it's the volition that wants to stop volition, right? But the volition itself is also a conscious process that is not, I mean, it's part of consciousness. So we can say consciousness wants to stop volition. Or we can say also, ah, oh, feeling wants to stop volition because you don't feel good about it. Or you can say also, you know, the perception, your perception is changing and then the volition is, is able to, to be understood. So the thing is that you can label it whichever way you want, but uh, what is important is to have the space and to have the time to take a pause. Uh, this is what we are doing with mindfulness. We take the time and then we, can, we, can, we take the pause just to observe. And the observation without the observer. That's wonderful.
So we can observe the observation, but we can observe also the observer. And then the observer is nothing more than the observation. So that's why what, whatever way we define it, it has to be seen by way of a process. And the more we see the things as a process, as a component of many factors, the less we can identify with it. Otherwise, we need to function as a human being. So we need to function with these concepts and also with these identification in order to survive. This, this is important. But mindfulness, together with wisdom, will give us the possibility to, to look at the thing properly, huh? and then to understand the thing properly. So stopping, observing, and then taking a pause, this is mindfulness with what we are doing, where we are. And then the understanding is the sampadhyanya. It is the wisdom that gives you the clue of what is happening by way of the dynamic of the process of mind and body. So then we are coming, we, we come to the position where we can deconstruct our experience in order to understand it better, to construct against something else, huh? construct another story or another something, but with much more understanding of the whole thing. So we don't get, we, we get less and less fooled by things that are, uh, uh, you know, that are not so uh, positive, if we can say, no? So this is a kind of understanding of, of or, 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 or wisdom. So, just to tell you, it is five o'clock about, and uh, we still have a few questions, and actually, we have not only a few, but a lot. So, <laughs> so sometimes, like now, I may take another 15 minutes huh, for another for a few more questions, and then if you agree, then maybe tomorrow or sometimes later this week, huh, we will see, we will look at the other questions because they are very. Uh, they are very relevant for us to understand. Okay, now what are we doing here? Huh? And then what is what what is my difficulties? And we are all difficulties. So I share something, you share something, and then you give your point of view here with the questions, and also I give a point of view, and then you can also express your point of view, and then we can understand a little bit more what is happening. And it's not only speculation; it is practical type of. Uh, uh, trying to understand, right? So these questions can be as helpful, but sometimes also these questions can be distracted, dis distracting. So that's why it's really up to you to, now we'll still have another 15 minutes, if you like to have a break, or you, you just, uh, you just uh, do uh, as you like. One question actually, I mean, they are all interesting, they are interesting, but, uh, but I, now there is an order and uh, there are a few more. So you just do as you wish and I am continuing. I don't care. I mean I care. I, I like it if you are there. <laughs> if you all go for, for, for your limonade, you know, then then I don't think I will be talking alone. 
But if you are, if you, if you need to go to the bathroom or if you need to have a, a break or just be quiet by yourself, it's it's really fine. No? So another question is uh, how to differentiate between a feeling tone and a mood on an experiential experiential level. Could you give an example? So the feeling tone in the mood, the feeling tone is more the subjective or the emotional uh, aspects of the experience. And also the feeling tone is more like the Vedana, what is called the Vedana. And then the mood, the mood actually, there is no mood without the sensations. There is no mood without the feeling. And the, but the mood, is, the mood itself refers to the quality of the mind in general. So we can say sometimes, oh, I am in a bad mood, or I am in a good mood, or I am in a speedy mood. Or, I mean, all kinds of moods can be, uh, can be uh, seen in our life. So a mood is a component of uh, many uh, various factors. So the mood itself can refer, as the question also suggests here, to the type of uh, mind that is experiencing that. So one will be the, the feeling tone, could be the Vedana, and then the mood could be classified uh, with uh, Chitta. Here you have a question that maybe also you have experience, is that uh, each time near the end of a one-month retreat, the last week, energy is hard to maintain. Guarding the sense doors become more difficult and letting go is let go. <laughs> That's a good one, I think. The body and mind seem to rebel. The body feels pain at each sitting. The mind resists, sometimes strongly, settling down. After the retreat, it is still hard to focus the mind for weeks. I assume many meditators may experience something similar to this. What advice do you have? So first question is, okay, now if all these things are happening, why do you come to, to a retreat? Well, I think we definitely have advantage to come to retreat. So what uh, advice to give to that? Uh, just uh, just want, uh, one thing that popped up in my mind now, it's, uh, it's almost the break time, so I can make a joke, no? So <laughs> <laughs> so uh, at at some point, you know, the, there was a retreat somewhere, and then one of my friends he came at the end of the retreat, and it was a very intensive retreat. And then the, my friend he, he looked at uh, he looked at the people, you know, ending the retreat, and they are just were just <sighs> and then so peaceful. And then he said, he said, all these yogis they look like uh, people having ended a football game. <laughs> so it has been so uh, demanding and then so hard to, you know, to play and then to, 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 to fit the schedule that uh, when they stop it, they really feel good. <laughs> 
so this is peaceful. No? So I think we could, we, we, we could question actually the intensity uh, of our retreat. Also, I think we could question the approach we have with our own retreat. Hmm? So, uh, so here, like the points here is that uh, uh, at the end of the retreat, the energy is hard to maintain. Why is that? Why would that be? I mean, we are quiet, we are with just, I mean, we just, the, the schedule is not so tight. So, what, why will the energy be hard to maintain? Maybe because there was too much energy in the first place. So, the balance that we find in our practice is very necessary. So, too much energy will lead us to, to rebel, and also will lead us to, you know, the opposite. So how to balance the energy of our effort with the schedule, with the activity, like we can, if we are doing too much sitting and then just doing like this and then we get tired. So how to balance also the physical energy. We need to have exercises, we need to have walks. So all these questions of balancing refer to the physical balance and also the mental balance. If we don't sleep enough, then the energies are we just get so tight, you get so tense. And then when you are when you are free from any kind of demands or any kind of pressure that you have with the schedule that is imposed on you with the examination at the end of the period, then you feel so well when it's not there anymore. So if we see if we don't see the meditation as a kind of uh, Things like that, but just as a process, uh, just as a, uh, an occasion, an opportunity for us to understand a little bit how we function. Then, by way of energy, I think at the end of a retreat, we should feel a little bit better. Here, the food is excellent, and then I mean the conditions are really ideal. So somehow, if you feel tired at some point in your retreat, just ask yourself: Do I need a rest? Maybe you need a rest and relax, huh? and take it a little bit easy. Hmm? The sleep is also necessary. So guarding the sense doors become more difficult, and let, let, letting go is let go. Huh? Uh, so let go. Let's go. So where are we going? <laughs> no, we let, let's go, right? Now the retreat is finished, and then... We really let go by, by going where we want to go. But where are we going? It's all in the mind. We are going to where the mind thinks it's go, is going to find satisfaction, isn't it? Oh, I will go and see my friends, oh, very good, and I will go to, I don't know, to have enjoy anything that, is, that we find enjoyable. So it's the mind. The mind finds happiness in things outside, but actually happiness is inside ourselves. So if we don't understand that the ultimate happiness is the way we are dealing with things, of course the things can support, the things also can nourish our happiness, but happiness is something inside. So we are not going anywhere else than when we are, because the mind is always following us. <laughs> yeah. Right? So if you think you are going somewhere, then there, the mind is always there. So, so if you think you are going to solve something in the mind by going somewhere, then it may be, 
but it may also not be. Because if the problem is with how you deal with your mind, then at the same place, when you have arrived finally at your, 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 your heavenly destination, then again that mind will, will say, okay, now let's go, right? So that's why we, have, we are here to understand a little bit that, that process of, uh, of going everywhere. Huh? And then we, are, we become more uh, easily, uh, we, 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 we become more at ease with what is happening you know, by understanding a little bit more uh, about that process of uh, going somewhere. But anyway, the, the questions are very practical and definitely we have some people and then also we have been also involved in these difficulties Mm, that uh, after a retreat, there is always a kind of, uh, of unbalance. So how can we settle that? So the second aspect of it is the body and mind seem to rebel. Yes, of course, if we are tight, like I don't know, some of you might have gone to, to a school I mean, where it's very strict and then you have so many rules and then, then at some point you just rebel because, because you are forced to do things that... Uh, that contradict what you really want to do. So if our motivation in what we are doing gets frustrated and frustrated, and then we are just forced to do things that we don't understand, we don't agree, and then we, we are confused and just being forced into something, then there will be a rebellion. So if the body and mind seems to rebel, that's fine, that's fine. But look at why we are rebelling. Why is there that rebellion? And also, uh, yes, what is the cause of that rebellion? So the rebellion is a sign of, of something that is not suitable. So if we are to look at the rebellion that we seem to have, then this is mindfulness. And then we, if we try to understand that rebellion, this is mindfulness with wisdom. So rebellion is a sign for us to examine a little bit more about what is happening in that situation. Then another aspect of the question is, the body feels pain at each sitting. Well, are you sitting too much? If you force yourself to sit in a, just in a, in a cross leg like this, huh, on the floor, or just sitting on a chair for hours and hours, then of course, the body, the, the, the body feels pain at each sitting because, I mean, you are just been sitting for too much time. So if, if now we are talking about the, 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 the feelings, huh? the feelings of pain. So in some texts, they say that uh, why do we experience feelings? Huh? What we are feeling, what we are experiencing, why is that? And then there was a, a, a school or, a, you know, a school of thought huh, that, you know, thinkers or, or you know, practitioners, they say that everything you are experiencing, huh, by way of feeling, or everything you are experiencing is because of your past actions. That means it's because of your karma. You have nothing to do about it. Everything you experience is because of your past actions. But then the Buddha here clarifies a little bit about that in relation to Vedana, and he says that we cannot say that everything we are experiencing by way of feeling is related to the past karma. And he gives about seven causes for the arising of 
sensation, the arising of feeling. This is in the Sangyuta Nikaya. And uh, so one reason is the flame disorder. Also, sometimes we, we may have too much flame, hmm, and then and then then that disorder causes uh, you know a very painful feeling. Sometimes it can be to due to, to wind disorder, and then also with the imbalance of the elements. Like if we if we remind ourselves that uh, the, the the medicine of these days was in relation to the the foreigners, like in, you find in India and also Sri Lanka and uh, you know Burma also. I mean in Asia, the natural medicine Ayurveda is based on the elements, so they are able to see they diagnose the disease by way of uh, how the, 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 the elements function in harmony or not in harmony. So when there is imbalance, then sickness is, 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 uh, is part of that. So the imbalance of the element can create also uh, bad uh, feeling. So this is another cause. Huh? And then also the change of climate is, uh, can also change painful feeling. So if you are not dressed properly and it's very cold, then you may feel uh, uncomfortable and a painful sensation. And also careless behavior. That means if you uh, don't behave properly, then you may hit something or you may, you may do something wrong and then uh, you may experience also painful sensation. Also, there may be sensation caused by assault. So maybe someone will, uh, will, will, will give you a stick or <laughs> something, you know, so then you will be feeling painful, right? So it's not necessarily because of your karma, it's because of the other guy who hit you with a, <laughs> with a stick. And then the last one is because of the result of karma. So when we come to the question here, is after the... The body feels pain at each sitting. So investigate a little bit about that pain. Huh? So it's a, it, it's a feeling. So at each sitting, if you are feeling pain, just try to understand why is that? Is it because I have been sitting too long? Or is it because I have been eating something uh, uh, unsuitable? Or is it because uh, something else? So we have to investigate why are we, f are, why, uh, are we uh, feeling pain at each sitting? Like we are allowed to change uh, seats, huh? so if you are not comfortable on a seat, you can change another seat. If you are not comfortable sitting, you can lie down. If you are not comfortable lying down, you can walk. If you are if you are not comfortable in these three things, you, you can just stand up. So why are feelings arising? Try to see for yourself, huh? and then if uh, by chance you see that oh, actually these feelings are because of the mind because of what I, have, what I might have done in the past, then, well, this is also a consideration, huh? and it's also a possibility. So some of the feelings we are experiencing is because of our past actions. This should not be put aside. So if we are feeling uh, pain in the body at each sitting, consider the reasons. The mind resists, sometimes strongly, Settling down, it resists settling down. Why? It resists settling down because it's painful. So why is it painful? Why the mind resists settling down? Why are we agitated? 
if we try to understand that resistance, then it's a setting down. So we don't need to set, we, we, the mind resists settling down because we say to the mind, now you have to settle down. So just trying to see what is the resistance caused by what, then, then by itself it will be a settling down. It will not be, we will not make a problem out of another, uh, we will not make a second problem out of just one problem. And then also if we, yeah. So we can settle down in the resistance. <laughs> I'm, I'm becoming funny, you know. <laughs> so after the retreat, it is still hard to focus the mind for weeks. So, uh, Again, is it a question of balance? Why we cannot focus the mind for weeks and weeks after a, a peaceful medit meditation retreat? Maybe because we have been focusing too much. I mean, it's just again, that type of thing that you do too much and then too much and too much, and at some point the mind rebels. So when you are no more in your box and you're with your schedule and then with your teacher and then with your group and then with all the things that you say that is going to improve myself, I have to do this, and then I have to develop that type of meditation, and then I have to focus. Huh? <laughs> then the mind is free, huh? and it doesn't want to focus. Huh? So you just want to go away. So if you tell your mind that you don't need to focus, then this can be a focus. Hmm? <laughs> But it's an intelligent focus, because that focus will bring you insight. It will bring you understanding of what is the purpose of focusing, and what is actually a good focusing. So a good focusing is where all the energies, all the faculties are very balanced. That means the faculties, you know, that means the interest, the energy, the, all these things they have to be balanced. That means psychologically, we have to be a kind of uh, willing and also interested and also happy to what we are doing. Then there is no problem at all. I mean, there is much less problem. So the last uh, point here on that uh, same question is that uh, I assume many meditators may experience something similar to, there, to this. What advice? Yeah, so... Uh, so this is true. Many meditators are experiencing that and they have a challenge when they are go going back at home and then they have to adapt it also to their way of life and then it's, it's very, uh, it's, it is very different. So, uh, but I think, I think if we have the, uh, an approach that is maybe more gradual, huh, an approach that is also based with understanding, then uh, whatever situation we are in, then we don't make uh, too much of. Uh, we can make something out of it. But if we if we think that meditation is just an intensive retreat where we get very deep in samadhi and then where everything is quiet, then of course there will be definitely challenges when we will be back in our uh, in our world. In, in I mean in the in the in the in the, in the world. I mean the, the, the in our uh, normal daily life. So it, it, I think it's a, just a question of approach. Oh, it's a question of approach, and also balancing the faculty and to see, to keep that mindfulness constant together with the with the aspect of wisdom.
I think the more well, it's just that the more understanding we get, huh, then the more perspective and the more also adaptation we can uh, we can we can make in our life in order to improve its quality it's all about that improving the quality so it, there should not be one shift extreme and then another shift extreme and then eventually finding the balance sometimes it goes like this huh? but eventually we have to 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 be uh, able to to maintain a balance uh, constantly whatever uh, waves we are facing in our life. So uh, now I will stop here and uh, if we have time, you know, I don't know when tomorrow or maybe uh, Wednesday, then uh, we will uh, deal with some of uh, other of your questions because they are very interesting. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.